You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in our last lecture, we ended on the note of Psalm 30, in which we heard the word, For his anger is but a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Of course, these words in Psalm 30 are echoed back and forth with Isaiah 54, in which we hear the word of the Lord. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great mercy I gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says Yahweh, your Redeemer. Now again, we want to look at the contrast here, the contrast between a brief moment in which the people of Israel are deserted, and then that's contrasted with this great mercy, this compassion, this everlasting love. Now, in that contrast, notice the significance of God's face. When God hides his face, this is not a good thing. When God's face is not looking upon us, that's not good. It's not good when God's face does not shine upon us. You see, when God gives us his favor, his favor is given to us when his face shines upon us. Just like in the words of the benediction of Aaron in Numbers chapter 6. It is in this benediction that we hear of the Lord's favor. It is the same benediction that we use in the divine service, in the liturgy of the church, in which the pastor ends the service by placing the name of God upon the people of God, declaring, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Yahweh look upon you with favor and give you peace. When God's face is shining upon us, when God is looking upon us, he looks upon us with favor. But when he hides his face, this is disfavor. He hides his face because of sin. But here in Isaiah 54, we have the contrast that in his overflowing anger, it was for a moment that he hid his face. But the contrast With everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. Now, that brief moment, the moment that had provoked God's anger, had provoked God's wrath, causing his face to be hid from Israel. Well, this, of course, is part of the covenant curse that Moses had warned the people of God about in Deuteronomy chapter 31, in which the Lord spoke through the mouth of Moses, saying, that when they reject the word of God and resist the work of the Holy Spirit, then 
My anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Well, this is precisely what took place in the days of Isaiah. The people of God did not heed the threat and the warning of the prophets, the prophet Moses and all the prophets after Moses. Again, remember, the prophets are sent so that the people of God can hear the word of God. For faith comes through the preaching of Christ. When you hear his word, the Holy Spirit is given. The Holy Spirit works. Of course, in that working, he works in both the law and the gospel, both in threats and in promises, that he comes to kill and to make alive, to wound and to heal. But when the people go astray, when the people break the covenant with Yahweh, when they refuse to listen to his voice, then these things will happen, and God will not look upon them with favor. He will hide his face from them, which will cause them to ponder and to think, Is God among us? Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? Of course, remember the promise, the good news that Isaiah came to bring when he came to preach Christ in his kingdom was that God is Emmanuel, that is, God with us, the one who comes to dwell among us, the one who comes to be with sinners, gathering them forgiving them, cleansing them, renewing them, restoring them, keeping them, guiding them, and feeding them. In fact, this is even the same kind of imagery that Isaiah is using here in chapter 54, that for a brief moment Yahweh deserted them, but with great mercy he will gather them. Gathering is the activity of the shepherd with scattered sheep. Of course, this echoes the words of Isaiah chapter 40, in which we are taught, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Again, Isaiah 44 was comfort, comfort to my people. The Lord was giving the wounded good news of pardon and peace. Likewise, in Isaiah chapter 43, we hear very similar words. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Now again, notice this response of God to that question of contemplation. 
Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? It is the sin that provokes God's anger and wrath. It is sin that alienates us and separates us from God. But it is God who comes to seek and to save the lost. And so these words of Isaiah 43, fear not, I am with you. That's the promise of the incarnation. That's the promise of Christ and his kingdom. That we have a king, a shepherd king, who comes to seek and to save the lost. He comes to gather the scattered. In fact, later on in Isaiah 43, you also hear this gathering of the Gentiles. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witness to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. Of course, in Isaiah 43, we have the Gentiles who are enamored with idolatry. Of course, the people of God are enamored with the Gentiles and they are enticed and tempted to follow the ways of the world. But it's God who gathers. It's God who converts. It's God who opens eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. It's God who gathers and assembles through the calling out of his voice, through his word. This is precisely why Jesus sent the apostles out to all nations. Go into all nations making disciples. How? By baptizing and teaching in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the world would hear the word of God. Later on in Isaiah 45, you also have a similar connection with these words of gathering, that this is what God does, in which the Lord says, Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. The Gentiles. The Gentiles are the ones who have been deceived by the devil throughout the centuries, throughout the ages. They have fallen into false worship. They have fallen for false images. But it's God's word that goes out. It's God's word that is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. For it's God's word that brings light where there is darkness and life where there is death. That God would gather with his word and his sheep would hear his voice. Later on in Isaiah 49, in a similar way, lift up your eyes and around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares Yahweh, you shall put them on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Now, God is the one who gathers. He's the one who brings everyone who has been scattered to assemble and to be present and accounted for. Now, In this life, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And God wants to gather His people through the preaching of His Word. He gathers those who have been scattered by Satan. Now is the day of salvation, where we have this advocate who comes to bring to us reconciliation. But on that last day, it will be too late. On that last day, time will have run out, 
And no longer will there be the opportunity to hear the voice of God for salvation. Instead, all nations will be gathered and the judgment will take place on that day. For Jesus has been appointed to be the judge, the judge of the living and the dead. And he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, he will gather all the nations and he will separate as a shepherd separates the goat from the sheep. Now Remember, the sheep are those who hear the voice of the good shepherd. They know his voice. He knows them. They follow where he goes. And so now is the day of salvation when we hear the word that rings out, the day in which the Lord has favor, the day in which the Lord speaks to us these words of great mercy, everlasting love, and compassion, all for the sake of Christ. Now let's go back to Isaiah 54, picking up at verse 9. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Now, first of all, when we look at this word here, the word that we have heard from the Lord, we recall the days of Noah and the waters of Noah. That in the beginning, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, bringing forth life. Now, in the days of Noah, there were eight who were saved by water. And so, in the days of Noah, we see this first covenant made with Noah. That there is a new start, there is a new creation, there is a new beginning. Now, again, we make the connection between the work of the Holy Spirit over the waters in creation and the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the word to Noah in the days of the restart with Noah and his family. Of course, this is tied to baptism, pointing forth to the reality of what God will do in the waters of holy baptism, which is a washing of renewal and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 3, the apostle says this, that formerly the people did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now again, let us be clear here the connection. The water in the days of Noah saved eight people, which corresponds, which depicts giving to us a portrayal of the water that saves in baptism. Again, in holy baptism that's done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this is not an empty ritual. It's not merely the removal of dirt from the outside of the body. Instead, baptism now saves. And how does it save? Well, by being an appeal to God for a good conscience. 
It's not something on the outside. It's not something external. It's not just an outward washing of the body. Instead, it is cleansing the conscience on the inside. Thus, in Hebrews chapter 10, we are told to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the body is washed with the pure water of holy baptism, but it's, it's not merely the removal of dirt from the body. It is a pure water that cleanses us from an evil conscience. And so that's why Peter will say that it's an appeal to God for a good conscience, that we now stand before God as innocent, all for the sake of Jesus. Yahweh's righteousness is that which restores and gives to us peace in the conscience. Now, when Martin Luther is commenting on this passage in his lectures on Isaiah, he notes the concern that Noah's conscience would have every time he would hear the thunder and the rain after the flood. But the promise of God was given to him in order to comfort his terrified conscience. That when he was troubled, when he felt as though God was not with him, that God had abandoned him, that God had hid his face from him, he would remember the promise, the promise that God attached to the rainbow. That God says when he sees the rainbow, God himself would be reminded not to flood the earth again. Now, going back to those words of Isaiah, where Isaiah says, This is like the days of Noah, in which God declares, I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. God gives his promise, just like he gave the promise in the days of Noah, that the conscience would be clear and comforted before God. Continuing at verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says Yahweh, who has compassion on you. Now, notice the imagery here of mountains and hills. These are things that are unmovable, but yet they are moved by God. As we've said many times in the past, that mountains and hills depict kings and kingdoms. All of these earthly kingdoms are temporary in contrast to God's eternal kingdom that he comes to bring. These earthly kingdoms will depart and they will be removed, but God's kingdom will stand forever. Likewise, sin will be removed, but peace will stand forever. Now, here we have the covenant of peace all because of the suffering servant, the one who is the prince of peace. In Isaiah 53, recall, the Lord said, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Those who believe in the promise have peace in the conscience before God. 
Thus, St. Paul writes to the baptized in Rome in chapter 5, saying, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, recall in Isaiah, it is the wicked, that is, the unrepentant unbelievers, who have no peace. But the righteous, that is, the repentant believers, have peace. Because we have been justified by faith, we have peace in our conscience before God. Now, he is the God of peace. He establishes the covenant of peace, and it shall not be removed. Thus, those who believe in Christ, this promise, have the assurance of salvation. Now, going to Isaiah 54 at verse 11. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones and antimony, and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. Now notice again that God is speaking to the afflicted. He is giving these words of comfort to those who are troubled in their conscience. He is assuring the afflicted one with his word of comfort. Now notice again that connection here of beholding, of seeing, of looking. We see what God wants us to see in his revealed word. That's the vision. Isaiah is a seer of God's revelation. He is revealing to us the knowledge of salvation. And in that knowledge, we understand that God is the one who is at work. And what is he doing? It is Christ who is building his church. Notice, I will set your stones. I will lay your foundations. I will make your pinnacles and gate. This is all architectural language, the language of God being the builder, the architect, the one who is doing this. Christ builds his church. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, remember when Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Although Jesus is the stone that is rejected by the builders, Jesus becomes the cornerstone, the foundation of the church upon which we are built. Now also, I want you to notice the beautiful building material. They were talking about stones and precious stones. We're talking about sapphires and agate and carbuncles and precious stones. Now, I want you to behold and see the similarities with the appearance of Christ in Ezekiel chapter 1. That when the prophet Ezekiel saw Christ, when he heard the word, here's what he said. Above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with the human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance 
of his waist I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. Now, what I want you to see here is the sapphire. Notice the sapphire, that there was a throne in the appearance of sapphire. Now, going back to Exodus chapter 24, when Moses retells the seeing of God on the throne, he says this, And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Now, again, notice the sapphire stone that was seen by Moses and those who ate in which God appeared to them. And now also in Ezekiel and also watch this in the book of Revelation. In chapter 21, we are told about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. And at verse 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now take note that every Christian is a gem and a jewel. This is the work of God who is building his church, that he is adorning the church with precious stones. In fact, in Peter's first letter to the baptized, he writes in chapter 2 saying, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now again, notice that he is that stone, the one who is rejected by the builders, that is the, the religious leaders of earthly Jerusalem, but he is the chosen and precious stone of God. He is the living stones. So thus in him we too are living stones being built up as his holy house. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to the baptized saying it this way, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
Again, this is the building language. The God is doing this work. The God is the one who is building his church. Therefore, in Isaiah 54, he says, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony. Now, of course, antimony is that, that black powder that is used for eye makeup. He is adorning the church and making her beautiful. And thus he goes on and says that I will lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. And then he goes on to say, All your children shall be taught by Yahweh, and great shall be the peace of your children. Of course, children here is sons, and sons are heirs. Thus, Paul writes in his letter to the baptized of Galatia, saying that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.